And the high road is not choosing between the good and the bad. Anybody can do that. You can do that without God. But the high road is choosing between the good and the best, and always choosing the best. Welcome back to the Baptist Friends Podcast with Dr. Clarence Sexton, where we gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives and for the wonderful opportunity we have to serve you. Help this to be the great day of encouragement for all of us. Help us by faith to launch out to meet you. We know you have an appointment for us to meet you. Help us to get out on the limb, to make the faith risk, to launch out into the deep, to do what is necessary. In Christ Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. There are two things I want to settle uh, before we get started today. One, I almost want to apologize because I put myself in this position to try to talk to pastors and Christian workers about what we ought to do. And I want you to, I want you to know that I'm keenly aware of my inabilities and uh, our strength is in the Lord and we're just trusting Him. All of us sometimes feel so inadequate and some days we feel, we feel so very, very inadequate. And uh, when I attempt to do this, to talk with you and try to encourage you, I think I must encourage myself in the Lord. That's what I'm trying to do. And, and I wonder why at this juncture in my life that God has given me this opportunity, you know. Uh, I've been in the ministry since I was 18 years old. For some of you who would never imagine this because I look so well, uh, I'm 71 now. <laughs> and I think I'm still full of whatever because I'm fired up and, and uh, God has been working in my life in a big way. If you've been wondering how old I am, I hope you've figured it out. But I've been preaching over 53 years. And I wonder why now, why now we have this, we have this meeting of uh, things that are happening in the world, in the ministry, in churches, happening in America. Um, this, this particular time when there's a crisis, I think, like no other I've seen in my lifetime. And um, I feel like if I were 40 years old or 45 years old or 50 years old or 35 years old or whatever, I think, now, Lord, you could have given me this to do. I've been working for you and serving you all these years. You could, you could have been giving me this to do a long time ago. But it's now. The challenge is now. I want you to know that I think something. I don't know whether or not you think it or not. But this is the pivotal crisis moment in our history. That's what I believe. It is either the perfect storm for Satan in the preparation that we're going through uh, to begin the new world order, which will come under the rule of the Antichrist, which could happen at any moment with the Lord coming for His own. Or it is the perfect moment for God's people to act 
and to see the Lord break through and mighty revival come. And I know that's what we're praying for in wrath, remember mercy. That's what we're asking God to do, isn't it? That in wrath, God would remember mercy. So that's what I'm praying for. And I've chosen for the subject today, is there a remedy? Now perhaps you don't know we're sick yet. <laughs> uh, our churches are sick. Our people are fearful. Crises abound. We're getting deeper and deeper into an economic crisis. There is an attack against the American dollar. Um, things are being shaken up like never before. Some people are so frightened they will never come back to church. And some churches are so frightened they don't know whether they're going to be able to continue or not. And here we are finding ourselves in this as the pillar and ground of truth, God's people. And I want you to remember the remnant principle. The remnant principle. Uh, Isaiah, in chapter 1 in Isaiah, writes this, And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. And I believe that we're seeing ourselves as a besieged world. The devil's throwing his hard licks. And then he, he tells us, Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. So we're working at this time. Whatever age you are, whatever experience you have, some of you are so zealous just starting out. Some of you are a little weary, having fought some battles. And um, I, I, am, I am a seasoned shepherd who's been through many different things. And I've pastored churches of very small numbers in rural community, small towns, metropolitan areas, racially divided cities. And I am here now for the last 33 years with all of that, trying to train people to send them out to serve the Lord. And God has chosen this moment for us to encourage one another. And He's chosen this moment to allow what He's allowing. We're about to enter into a food crisis in America. Um, it's going to happen. 30 million acres of farmland in America are owned by foreign nations. I don't know how we let it happen. As a matter of fact, if crops were harvested on those acres, they may ship all of it out of America to their own countries. But 30 million acres of the best farmland in America do not belong to America. Uh, major companies and corporations do not belong to America. We are a country under siege. And um, you wonder what needs to be done. We're going to talk about that. But who needs to do it? And the who must be answered by us. If the Lord declares that we're the pillar and ground of the truth, 
we have to watch where we engage. Uh, I have some questions, and I'm going to take a few of them now and a few of them at the very end. But uh, some of the questions um, like this. At times I struggle with, uh, with these things regarding the situation in our country, what could be done. Uh, so should I become politically involved? Well, there's no doubt that we should act upon things as we are, as we are living our lives. For instance, if you take the Bible, 1189 chapters in the Bible, 66 books in the Bible, you can get in one portion of it and live there on one subject to the exclusion of everything else. And sometimes people get on a, on a particular subject matter. It might be the presidential election of Donald Trump. I'm going to do everything I can to get him elected. I'm asking people to pray for him. Maybe you've gotten my little video, Pray for Our President. But that's not the sum of what God's given me to do. That's something that I believe that we're called upon now. We're having a, a great senatorial race in the state of Tennessee to replace the Senate seat of Lamar Alexander. And uh, we have many candidates, but we have two primary candidates, and we have, to, we have to decide for whom we're going to vote, who's going to be placed in office. So there ought to be certain tests that, that we think they pass this, 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 this. You can't find the perfect person, but this is, this is what I'm going to vote for. Yes, we are politically engaged. I tell people I'm a registered Republican. I say that in public meetings. I say that from the pulpit of our church. I'm a registered Republican because I have read the national platform of the Republican Party and I have read the national platform of the Democrat Party. <clears throat> and my moral standing and my convictions are, are fit better with the Republican national platform and what they stand for than it does with the Democratic platform. I'm not for abortion. I'm not for same-sex marriage. You know, I'm not promoting the transgender agenda. So... There's a reason morally as an American citizen that I'm involved in that. But I don't expect that to be equal with the Bible because there are a lot of times I disrupt a lot of people who are Republicans or Democrats or anybody else. Um, but we must be engaged as American citizens. I think Christians should be the best citizens possible. But that's, that's not our main thing. Our main thing is to provide people with the opportunity to see that there is a remedy to what we're dealing with now. And there is a remedy. I want to read something to you, and I want you to open your Bible with me, please, to the last chapter in the book of Second Chronicles. The last chapter in the book of Second Chronicles. Just open it up there, and God makes this statement about His people and the captivity of Judah by the nation of Babylon, and there's a striking statement given here in the 16th verse. We're going to read verses 15 and 16, 2 Chronicles chapter 36. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by His messengers, rising up betimes and sending, because He had compassion on His people and on His dwelling place. But, look at verse 16. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised His words 
and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. God said, it's over. I'm finished dealing with you. Enough. The last sinful behavior was the straw that broke the camel's back. I don't know what behavior it was. The last idolatry in America, the last slaughter of innocent babies, uh, the last rebellion against God's law and what God has set up for marriage. I don't know what it is, but God said, God said, it's over. There's no remedy. So all you had left then was the wrath of God. That's why the prophet Habakkuk said, in wrath, that's all we've got. In wrath, remember mercy. Remember mercy. And uh, I'm telling you, we may have come to the place, we may have come to the place where God says, enough. I've had enough from a nation I've blessed that I've showered blessings upon, I've had enough. And maybe that's happened, I don't know. But we still can ask God in wrath, remember mercy. Is there a remedy for America? Is there a remedy for our churches? Is there a remedy where you're serving God? Is there a remedy? And if you're making a few notes, I'd like to just put it as clearly as I could. God is the remedy. Not doing something for God, not spiritual activity, not another pep rally, not another program. Most pastors get the idea if they can have another program, they can work around anything. No. The power of the pulpit comes in lifting up the Lord. And it's the power of the pulpit God uses, the power of preaching. God is the remedy. Let me read another passage. I want you to write it down. It's in the eighth chapter of the book of Jeremiah. It concerns the same subject. Jeremiah chapter 8, the Bible says the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we're not saved. Verse 21, he says, for the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt. He said, for their hurt, I'm hurt. God's compassion, it's in his heart. I am black. Astonishment hath taken hold on me. Then the question is asked in verse 22. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? Is there no balm in Gilead? God said to his people, his chosen people, he said, there's no remedy now. You've crossed the line. There's no way that judgment is going to be withheld. You're facing nothing now but the wrath of God. On one side, you have God's love. On the other side, you have God's wrath. They've rejected God's love and mercy. They're going to receive God's wrath. Have we crossed the line? Have we crossed the line? I have to believe, too, that there are people all over the world, not just American people, but people all over the world who are praying and believing God. 
we don't know we don't know who's really reached the heart of God but in all revival in all of real revival sometimes somewhere there were people who made their way into the heart of God and God heard their prayer and answered their prayer our problem frankly is that we haven't gotten desperate enough we really haven't you know we're living in a country that you know I, I believe the Chinese government has the communist government has released this coronavirus and uh, the fact of the matter is you may not agree that's fine you don't have to agree on that we don't have to agree on that to, to be brothers and friends I'm just telling you what I believe and the the attack is against America and uh, even though there are 180 or more countries who are affected by this uh, we have people on on small islands in the Pacific Ocean who, who can't return to their island because of the COVID virus now can you imagine that and, and in the states we're, we're fouled up I was just out with the folks in Clark Fork Idaho with, with Brian and Darla and their family and their church and it's a wonderful place God's placed them I'm so thankful for it I was so blessed I'm encouraged by them they're just two or three miles from the passage which happens to be in the state of Montana and God is working and God is blessing there so I don't want to speak to you like all of us are in a hurry getting going to hell in a handbasket I don't want to, I don't want to talk like that because you may be in a place where God is working and abundant things are happening. But I'm saying collectively, the world is shaking now. And God is doing something. And the situation is desperate. It is desperate. Uh, I believe there's a, there's a cataclysmic type of shaking going on and, and a redistributing of things. Uh, and, and the politicians that are the enemies of America want it to be, uh, want it to be a change of government, a change of capitalism to, to uh, Marxism, socialism. Uh, someone gave a statement the other day, and I thought, when someone receives without working, then someone must work without receiving. I thought that was a great statement. When someone receives without working, because we work, we earn our living by the sweat of our brow. We work, we all work. But when somebody's given everything without working, then someone that is working is working without receiving. And that's this socialist idea, this Marxist idea. And it's not, it's not anything new. I told you before, when I was in college at the University of Tennessee, uh, getting a degree, undergraduate degree before I went to seminary and before I did all the seminary work and finished the doctor of ministries degree. My, my professors there in the sociology department said to me one day, we want you to know, Mr. Sexton, that the Communist Manifesto by Marx and Engels, this is in 1974, the Communist Manifesto by Marx and Engels is the same thing to me that the Bible is to you. You see, we, we sort of flip it off and think, these people aren't, Surely they're not serious, all this nonsense. No, no, no. They're more serious than most preachers. And many give their lives to it. The disruption of America is the goal of this group of people. And it's no small number of people.
They're in our United States Senate. They're in our United States Congress. They're funded by the major entities and corporations in America. And it's no small thing. They want to kill capitalism, stamp out Christianity, and disrupt the lives of people. The agenda calls for, for things unbelievable. Anytime you see this 1619 history course, it's already in 3,000 schools, been, been adapted and accepted in 3,000 public schools in America that says America started on the back of slavery and the history, history that you and I have been taught is not true at all. That, that's an abomination. And then uh, we have people working every day to remove the criminalization of sex crimes. And we've succeeded. It was once a crime in America for same-sex people to have sex. It was once a crime in America for, for same-sex people to be married. Now they're going to try to decriminalize sex with children. I'm telling you, we are in a war. We're in a war. When are God's children going to wake up? When are preachers and shepherds going to wake up? The situation is as desperate as it's ever been in our lives. We've got to get the remnant moving. There is a remedy, and it's the Lord and only the Lord. Fun and games is over. You can still smile again, no doubt about it. Listen, I, I've, I've got a summary here I want to read to you. If you open the revelation of Jesus Christ, if you open and come to chapter 1 and verse 19, God gives you the table of contents for the, the last book of the Bible. And this is what He says in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ to John. And Christ is revealed here to us and, and the ultimate victory we have in Him. We come to the 19th verse and the Bible says, Write the things which thou hast seen. Write the things which thou hast seen. That's past. And the things which are, that's present, the present church age. And the things which shall be hereafter. Now when you come to the fourth chapter of the book of the Revelation, the church is gone. A great door is open in heaven. And we're with Jesus. And the devil is turned loose. And his Christ, who is the Antichrist, his Christ is doing everything he wants to do. And when you begin to read, actually literally from chapter 6 to chapter 18, you find the deeds that are done during the tribulation. Now, there is a thin, a thin, thin veil that separates us from that. And it is the rapture of the church, the coming of the Lord Jesus for His own. And when Christ comes and the church is gone, the world doesn't end. But here, I've, I've written a summary of some things from chapter 6, or I've found it from chapter 6, verses 2 to 17, chapter 8, verses 8 to 13, chapter 9, 
verses 1 to 20, chapter 16, verses 1 to 21. This is the time when people beg God to die and can't die. Did you know that as soon as the church is gone, the Bible tells us during that tribulation period, one quarter of the world's population will die from war, starvation, and beastly predators. Giant earthquakes like never before, accompanied by thunder and lightning, will destroy cities. Mountains will crash into the sea, killing a third of the sea life. Tidal waves from the cataclysmic things that are happening will sink one-third of all the world's ships. A massive meteor shower will strike the earth. Ashes and smoke rising from its devastation will hide the sun and moon. Swarms of demonic insects will darken the sun and inflict painful stings. Rampant epidemic plagues will kill one-third of all mankind. Everyone, from national leaders to servants to slaves, will flee from the cities and hide in caves and rocks and beg for the mercy of God and won't get it. That is one, one day, one moment, one twinkling of an eye from happening in our world. Now you say, well, I believe that. No, you don't. No, you don't. And I don't. We're acquainted with it intellectually if we've read the Bible. But why hasn't it motivated us to get the only remedy there is to people? When I worked with Dr. Robertson, the church claimed to have 60,000 members. Dr. Robertson said to me, and I, and I thought, I can't believe this. He said, we don't have six, six, the number six, one, two, three, four, five, six. We don't have six soul winners in all the 60,000 members. And you know, while I was so intimately involved with him and was trying to witness, trying to bring people to the Lord. And he was assigning me things to do in the Sunday school and all else. But I, I thought, could this be true? And then I think about the church I pastor. It has thousands of members. Where are the soul winners? But that's not the worst of it. When we are across America, when we have 500 pastors just on this Zoom call, We've got the names of about 15,000 pastors and churches. Where are the shepherd soul winners? Where are the people who are actively, aggressively, including me, making it my business to be a faithful witness everywhere I go to everyone to do all I can to get the gospel to people? You see, you and I have gotten so ministerially involved that we've substituted activity for spirituality. And we've got every reason in the world why we're not personally winning people to the Lord. I'm going to make another appeal to you. And I'm putting myself in it. And you pray for me because I need to be accountable. You pray for me. And uh, I would like to personally send a soul winner's New Testament that would, would, would identify a soul winning shepherd. A shepherd soul winner. We may stamp it on the front of it. A New Testament with you that you can use if you'll commit to be the faithful witness and seek to win souls again and train others to do the same thing. If we don't do it, if we don't start it, if this remnant 
doesn't come together. I don't believe there is a remedy. I don't believe there is a remedy. There is a bomb in Gilead. There is a remedy. And we know what it is. It's, it's doing the things God's given us to do. The world is more lost than ever. And Jesus Christ is coming again. And when He comes, we're gone. And the tribulation will begin. And whatever conviction you've got about that, it needs to be put into action. No doubt about it. Into action. We need these shepherd soul winners. May God help us. I have soul winning books to train people. That's not it. We just need to be motivated. When I was, uh, when I was uh, 18 years old, I got introduced to a program called Witness Involvement Now. That was just an acronym for WIN, Witness Involvement Now. And I took the soul winning training. And many people took the soul winning training because there was a passion to win souls. At the time, the Spirit of God was moving in our country. You may have heard me say this, but in my little hometown of Maryville, Tennessee, you could not go to town on a Saturday. And that's when a lot of people went. But you could not go to town on Saturday without someone on a street corner or positioned in some critical place on the streets that was trying to witness to you. Somebody was trying to win you to the Lord. They were confronting you with the gospel. And many people that I know came to Christ. Now, some of them were, were mocked and called fools for doing it, but many people came to Christ. It didn't last forever. It went on for over a year. I remember going through the airport, and I remember going through the airport in, uh, in Atlanta, busy, busy place, years and years ago. And there were soul winners, some way or another. They'd bought a ticket and whatever, got, the, got themselves positioned inside the corridors there and giving out gospel tracts and leading people to the Lord. It was everywhere. There was a passion for winning souls. Now, maybe somebody's gotten to you and you think it can't be done. Let me stop. When I was a young man, almost 14 years old, someone said to me, are you a Christian? They had no idea what God had been doing in my heart. No idea. At the preparatory work God had already been doing in my home, in my life. I tried to give an answer because I didn't want to be embarrassed, but I, they knew when the answer was given by me that I really hadn't been born again. And they took me to a quiet place, took the New Testament, and led me to Jesus Christ. Now here's the thing. It was the first time in my life the first time in my life anyone ever explained the gospel to me. It wasn't that they were so good at it. that They just, it just they did it. And the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin. And I came to know the Lord Jesus as my personal Savior. My whole life, my whole life has been changed. That was the first time anybody ever witnessed to me. Now you may have to witness to 20 people or 10 people or a a hundred people to find that person that God's already worked and drawn to Himself and that supernatural work of salvation is going to take place in their life as you're giving the gospel to them, as you're approaching them, turning the conversation to spiritual things, and then drawing the net. It can be done.
It can be done. You know God can use you to win souls. And we must make the commitment to go in the power of God's Holy Spirit, give a clear presentation of the gospel, and bring people to the point of receiving or rejecting Jesus Christ. We can't save them. Salvation is of the Lord. The Lord Jesus told Peter, not only was it a decision, it was a revelation. God revealed Himself to them. So however much you're making of salvation and what glory you're giving the Lord for it, it all belongs to Him. It's not of works lest any man should boast. We have been chosen to be His instruments in giving the gospel. Now Paul did something that you and I need to do. Paul separated himself, Romans chapter 1 verse 1, to the gospel of God. In other words, he said, this is my business. This is my business. Not traveling, doing tents to provide a living. My business is I've given myself to the gospel. And as a pastor, as a shepherd, if you'll give yourself to the gospel, to God's remedy, God will use you to stir the hearts of other people that they'll give their hearts to God, to this remedy. It seems like a small thing when we're facing such a big problem, but it's no small thing. Nothing's small when God gets in it. It couldn't be greater. And God's placed you where you are. It's how great God is in our lives. How is He? How great is He? And it can't be, oh yeah, we'll do something like this. No, my primary goal in life is to be the witness God's called me to be. I, I need help with this, gentlemen. I need somebody to hold me accountable. I need somebody to email me, email me and ask me, how many people have you witnessed to today? Or, or have you led somebody to the Lord? Have you given the gospel? If some of you, not all of you will, but if some of you would email me and say, I want to be a faithful witness and a soul-winning shepherd, I will send you a... New Testament that you can use in soul winning. I have a friend who's already said he'll help me provide them. And we will try to do this. There may be 10 of us or 100 of us or 200 of us or 20 of us. And we can communicate with them. Don't you need motivating? I need motivating. I'm so everlasting busy in the ministry. I got so much junk to do. I got meetings all day today. You know, I got meetings with college staff and workers this afternoon, early afternoon, and it'll be tying me up. I've got to go see other things that we're working on. And I'm so easily caught up in those things. I must witness as I go, but I must make it my business to be a soul-winning shepherd. And you can help me, and I'll expect you to help me. I'll join with you, and every one of you that will join with me, we'll work at it. May God help us. How about smiling right now? You know, good, thank you. The questions are, would you address essential elements of a church meeting? Would you address essential elements of a church meeting that cannot be accomplished online along with the value of these elements? Is it now a good time to address these things in Sunday school or from the pulpit? This is the first question one of you to ask. When I had to preach online, I do preach online every week, every day, really, giving some message. Uh, there are some people that can't get here physically, and I can't get to them physically. 
and at least we get the message. But there is nothing more important than the personal encounter. And I believe that we're commanded of God not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a man or some is. That God's told us. And so I'm angry. I'm really angry at these nitwit politicians. These nitwit politicians who think they can erase the First Amendment to the Constitution and tell us we can't gather together in freedom and assembly and preach the Word of God. This is ridiculous. And to use the scare tactic of the COVID-19 virus to scare everybody in the world to death to keep from coming. I'm aggravated about it. I'm just aggravated about it. You say, well, it's real. Oh, I'm not going to get in that argument. I don't know if the doctors can win that argument. It may be the politicians that finally win that argument. But the fact of the matter is, nothing or no one should keep us from gathering together. If somebody said, well, you have to social distance or you can only have 10 people, how can a church like ours have 10 people gathered? It can't. It just can't happen. And so, yes, worship God. Don't be stupid. Don't, don't be uh, uncaring. And don't say silly things like some preachers would say, I don't care. We're not afraid of the COVID virus. Don't, don't say stuff like that. Be the most polite person in town. Have the greatest singing you could possibly have. And then rear back and preach like we used to call preaching like a holy roller. I mean, pour your soul into it. Spurgeon said, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said, he preached with his whole body. When's the last time your people have seen you preach with your whole body? And throw yourself in it with conviction. When's that happen? Well, if you, if you know the whole world is dying and you know the remedy, it's criminal not to give people the remedy. Amen? It's criminal. So I say yes. Praise God. Get after it. Question. What can be done to challenge our people to not miss what God has for us during this time? Well, you know, you have to begin with a remnant and keep building to it and building to it and building to it. Um, my wife and I have the temptation. She truly has the temptation yielded to sometimes as soon as the church service is over to talk about who's not here. And this day and time, you wonder if they've gone somewhere else. And sometimes we just call and say, y'all still with us? I think we're seeing, and this is serious, I think we're seeing our folly, our folly as pastors in this. Now hear me. We did not make enough of church membership. We have not made enough of what it means to belong to a local church. I've written an entire book on believing and belonging. You believe, but you belong. You adhere to the doctrinal truth of this assembly. This is truly your local church. I am a part of it. People are a part of it. And we sort of made it like, come for, the, come for what we're doing and uh, you can just come and go and come and go and come and go. Listen, I say to our people, welcome to this meeting 
of the Temple Baptist Church. This is not the Temple Baptist Church. This is the meeting of it. Because the Temple Baptist Church is engaged on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The Temple Baptist Church is engaged in the mornings, in the evenings, in the afternoons. The Temple Baptist Church is engaged in the schoolroom, in the classroom, in the workplace, because you don't turn it off. It's the witness of Christ's body, the pillar and ground of the truth, speaking the truth in love everywhere we go. We're just meeting together to be encouraged here in the church service. So I think we've got to go back to teach our people these things, don't you? Could you tell us more about the Leadership Congress for Young People at the Passage? Write the date down, would you please? And we're going to do this the first full week, the first full week in August. It's going to take place and with teens and youth workers. And we're going to do this in every region. There's one coming near you. In each of the ten regions of the United States, all the way from New England to the Pacific Coast, to the Southwest and the South, in the Mid-Atlantic. So we're doing this everywhere. And we're going to rally young people in these teen leadership congresses but we're having our first teen meeting at the passage. We've got to get the thing opened. People are scared to death. You mean you can open up a camp this day and time? You better believe it. Well, we maybe think we ought to wear a mask. Then wear one. We're not going to force people to wear them, but if they do it, that's fine. Question. At times I struggle with drawing in an invitation. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I want to be somewhat predictable. Would you please give me some advice? I have lectures I've given on how to give, give a gospel invitation. I think the invitation should be like a rake that you're raking in the congregation for what you've been preaching about. If you haven't been talking about the gospel, why should you expect to bring people to the gospel? If your people aren't bringing people who need the gospel, why should you be trying to get people to receive the gospel? Or it might be you're preaching on the home and you have fathers and mothers dedicating themselves about the home or children submitting themselves to be in obedience to their parents. What is it you're preaching? The preaching and the invitation for me are not two separate things. The preaching and the invitation are together. It's one thing. The natural outcome of the preaching of God's Word is to call for a decision a verdict to be made. And I think if you'll do that, you don't sing the same invitation hymn all the time. I have in the front of our crown hymn book, a, a hymn book you need. I have in the front of our crown hymn book a pasted page that has about 50 or more songs with the page number that we sing for invitation. It may, I be, it may be, I will arise and come to Jesus. I'll, he will embrace me in His arms. It may be just as I am. It may be my faith looks up to Thee. Whatever it is, it might be Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. And we've worked with the pianist especially about how to play that, uh, that invitation hymn. And you know, it's a strange thing to me. People sing, uh, sing lively 
hymns and music, but when it gets the invitation, it sounds like a funeral. You know? Like, just as I am without one plea. At that I blood wish. Oh, good grief. You know, I have to say to our people here, learn how to sing an invitation hymn so that you want people to respond to it. Not like you're, you're celebrating the life they've lived in the funeral service we're having for people. That's ridiculous. You know, so learn how to sing a gospel invitation. I'd like to really talk one time about the invitation and why we give it. If you'll encourage me to do that, I'll do it. Now, then another question, should a church be outspoken on political matters? Amen, yes, a thousand times, yes. You can't tell people who to vote for, but you can tell people who you vote for. And if you've got some ridiculous jack-leg person trying to do something that's against God and against God's Word, tell people about it. Do you know who called me this week? Do you know who called me Sunday afternoon? My United States congressman called me. He said, I just listened to you preach on the television. And I want to thank God somebody's got the guts, he said guts, to tell the truth about Black Lives Matter and all this other stuff. And he said, when you're talking about the Lord's Day, and you said people like to have a cow when you told them when you first came that they could not be involved in the highest levels of leadership in the levels of leadership in your church if they played organized ball on the Lord's Day because it was the Lord's Day, you didn't want people out. And you said some people like to die when you said that. They've gotten over it since. He said, I want you to know uh, Dr. Sexton, I agree with you 100%. Isn't that amazing? He said, what have we done to the Lord's day? So I'm saying to you, um, there are people out there looking for leadership, courage, needing answers. <laughs> I said Sunday, we've just started early voting. And, uh, and uh, we, we've got to, Tatiana, we've got to have all the pastors in Tennessee that we've got on Zoom. I've got to get them on and send them an email and tell them, Get on here. I've got to talk to them about who they're going to vote for and how they need to tell their people to vote and who, who the best candidates are. We've got to do that as soon as we can because people are asking me, who, who, who should I vote for? And if they ask me, I'm going to tell them. There's a specific candidate that I'm voting for, for the United States Senate. And if they want to know, I, I can tell them who I'm voting for, but I can't tell them who to vote for unless they ask me. I said to our people, if you want to know who I'm voting for and you haven't heard me yet, then call me, text me. You can even text my wife, and she knows. I think she's voting for the same people I'm voting for. And so, yes, be involved, be engaged. Show up at meetings, pray for people, send people notes. I've, in, the la in, the last, uh, in the last few days, I've contacted the governor of the state of Tennessee. He's taken a stand uh, in this COVID war that other governors haven't taken, and he's given us the freedom and talked about our constitutional rights. I actually texted him and said, uh, Governor Lee, I want to thank you for being a constitutional governor, and I'm so happy to tell everybody that you're our governor. Let him know. I have his cell number. Let him know. He's, he gave it to me so I could communicate with him and pray for him. I don't always get a text right back from him, but I'm grateful to God for him and let people know. Our mayor took a stand against some, some somebody in the, health department 
They wanted to shut down Knoxville. And he said, we're not going to do it. And he got the chief, uh, the sheriff, county sheriff to stand with him. And I texted them both and said, amen. And I appreciate what you're doing. We need people to get back to work. We need great things going on here. We don't need to shut our county down. And I want you to know I'm standing behind you. And they both text me and thank me and ask me to pray for them. I, I say, get involved. You're God's man. You're God's man. Have they heard from God's man? Quit, quit acting like some panty lace. Open your mouth wide and speak the truth in love. You don't have to be like a maniac. You think I'm a maniac. But you don't have to be like a maniac, but you can raise your voice and let the truth be known. And people need it. Sometimes my brother says, sometimes I have to say amen to my own preaching. <laughs> but anyway, uh, as far as remedy is concerned in the situation in our country, what could be done other than scheduling prayer meetings to encourage people to pray fervently? Well, encourage people to pray fervently. Our church is encouraged to pray every morning at 6 a.m. and every evening at 10 p.m. before they go to bed. Our people are encouraged to pray at noon, every noon, to pray and pray for revival, pray for their homes, pray for their lives. And you know, we, we're, not, we're not all we ought to be. Dear Lord, if you came here, you'd be disappointed. You know, you can't find heaven here. It's, it's away from here, but we can tell people how to get to heaven. Uh, but we're trying, we're trying. Teach your church to be a praying church. Teach your church what it means to be a member of a local church. Talk about church membership and use the scripture. If you don't have it, get, get my book on believing and belonging. It's there and I'll send it to you free if you, if you need it. I'm trying to help you. But teach your people what it means to belong to a local assembly of baptized believers who voluntarily join themselves together to carry out the Great Commission. Not just to attend, but to belong. The book is Believe and Belong. If you don't have it, I'll send it to you if you ask me for it. I'm tired of sending all this stuff to people who never asked for it because they just, you know, make garbage out of it and start fires with it. And then the question is, I heard you are having a big meeting in October. I thought you'd never ask. Yes, we have a youth congress in July. We had to cancel it because everybody's scared to death. And um, we have a mission conference in October. And we usually have our Baptist friends meeting in April. But this year, we're putting all of those meetings in the meeting that you need to attend. Write it down. It starts on Sunday, October 25th, going through Thursday, October 29th. And during that time, we will have our World Mission Conference. We will have our Youth Congress. And we'll have our Baptist Friends meeting. And we're starting Baptist Friends International to help bring people together worldwide with the same convictions. No one, no one can be in charge of a church. It's the Lord's church. The pastor should be leading, but he belongs to God. I do not believe that the 
church should belong to anything except the Lord. But I'm trying to encourage churches to participate in this Baptist Friends International around truth, friendship, and world evangelism. Truth, friendship, and world evangelism. And I want you to be here. I hope and pray to God it will be the most influential meeting we've ever had in the history. You just need to go ahead and make arrangements. Get on an airplane or get in a car or carpool and get other people to come with you and bring somebody from your church. Start with your wife and other people and plan to be with us for this meeting for Baptist Friends, World Missions, and Youth Congress. So bring teenagers. They're working to come. Bring the key teenagers. Bring somebody that's interested in, in uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. And uh, we're going to start trying to do something to, to also work hard on our Jerusalem. We spell Jerusalem J-E-R-U-S-A. U-S-A, L-E-M. Our Jerusalem, J-E-R-U-S-A, our U-S-A, L-E-M. The USA is our Jerusalem. Of course, we work on our, our community. We are in Knoxville, Knox County, and the community of Powell, and we believe we ought to embrace our community with the love of Christ. So these are things that we're trying to work at. And uh, is there a remedy, gentlemen? But if you leave it in the bottle, or if you close it up in the barn, and people never get access to it. It never gets to them. It's never applied. You might as well not have a remedy. When I was a kid, everybody was afraid of getting polio. Any of you remember any of that? And they had a little... Jonas Salt had created a polio vaccine and cure, and they had little sugar cubes. You could take them. When I started school... They gave me a polio vaccine in that sugar cube. And uh, they were dead set on every child not getting polio. And they got the polio out to the vaccine out to the people. Now that's different from this COVID thing. I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not excited about the vaccine for that. We can talk about that someday if you want to. But you and I have the gospel. We have the gospel. And we ought to be passionately trying to get the gospel to every family, every person, every house, at every home crusade, everyone in our community, getting the gospel to people. And it has to start with soul winning pastors. Now, some of you are worked up enough, committed enough to say, I want to be a soul winning pastor. I've said this many times. I mean it. I want to do it. But uh, for some reason, you can't follow through. Well, let's a bunch of us get together and try to help one another. I need your help. And I hope I can encourage you. I'll send you a New Testament. We'll form a league of pastors, shepherds who are soul winners. Now, shepherds, but shepherds who are soul winners. And somebody's going to hold your feet to the fire and ask you, are you witnessing to somebody? Have you found somebody? Have you, are you talking to people about how to be saved? We may even start reporting to one another just to praise God when they celebrate in, in heaven over somebody being saved. We may send a, a text of 
to our soul-winning shepherd friends and say, somebody just came to the Lord. That might be the thing that will encourage us too. Whatever it can help us to do it, we need to get started, don't we? Amen? Amen. I know Adam Garber's on here. I've seen him two or three times. And good to see all of you. Brian Clark, good to see you, son. I'm praying for your new church out there. Adam, we're going to put you off mute on to speak. So uh, tell us how you're doing. You're in Texas. You've got a good governor. He's trying to do the right thing. And uh, God's blessing in your church. I appreciate the work you're doing at, uh, at Lake Texoma and uh, what needs to be done there. We need to get teenagers and pastors there. We need to have a pastor's meeting in the Southwest Pastor's Meeting, a summit, Shepherd's Summit, like we did at the Passage for the Southwest on that property. And y'all have done such a magnificent job getting that conference room fixed. Now I saw it beautifully painted. It's lovely. And we're going to have a date right away and send it out to people to try to get there. And I'm going to fly out there and try to speak and be involved with y'all. Any words you want to give? And then lead us in our prayer, would you please? Thank you for your influence. Love you, Pastor. And uh, I'm praying that we can stand and Amen. continue on. And I know that that will help you to continue on. Appreciate your influence. Love you much. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God bless you. God, we ask thee to guide us today. Lead us, Lord. We need thy presence with us. Lord, we cannot accomplish what you've given us to do. It's, it's too great to do alone. Lord, we can give our power, but we need you to go beyond our power. Lord, fill us with our Holy Spirit. Guide us today. Thank you for this time. This, thank you for giving us a man that has great influence and passion for thee. And I pray that it be rooted and grounded in our hearts. Lead us now. I pray many of us would join this friendship of soul-winning shepherds. God, may we see a great increase. In your precious name we pray. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. Thank you, fellows. Love you. Praying for you. Please pray for me. I really need your prayers. God bless you. We'll meet again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Baptist Friends Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. And join us next time as we continue to gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism.